as you tried to come through the doors at some point, there, there might have been a piece of paper that was handed to you. You in front, would you just hold it up and show them what it looks like? Now, I have to confess, I don't know if everybody got it, and there may not be enough for everybody, and I'll explain why. So if you didn't get one, or if you have two of them in a general area, and you see somebody who didn't get, if you don't have one, could you raise your hand again? I'm going to ask some of these folks, you may have two of them to pass it on or whatever. All right, as best we can. Okay, so... This was a, a last-minute second scoop. Um, my phone rang at 7.45 this morning, and it was Ron Biggs saying, I am sick. Would you be able to speak during Discovering God Hours? I said, sure, yeah, no problem. So, yes, yes, no problem. So I'm just going to make it up as we go here, all right? Really... Um, I, I had no idea how much time we'd have left after we got done with this. I had guessed maybe a half an hour, 25 minutes. So what I really wanted to do was, with this little handout, is to segue from what we talked about in the first service to another verse in the New Testament that really ties in this idea of trials, afflictions, whatever. And, and you see a picture of a gift-wrapped package there. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. Just want to bring home a couple of things with whatever time we have and as much as we can. I, I won't walk through this thing in great detail. Uh, I'll try to do my best to just plug through some things. I, I really, if I, can, if I can have you walk out of here with a mental picture of this gift-wrapped package connected to James 1.17, then I will have succeeded. And I'll explain that in a minute. So if you are, or if you're getting there, James chapter 1. Obviously, when we think of trials and afflictions, when we think of the struggles of life, if we've been a believer for any length of time, we will most naturally jump to this passage of Scripture, James chapter 1, especially verses 2, 3, and 4. And if we have hit those verses... We have hit those verses with a whole bunch of questions jumping out of our mind, and that is, all right, how in the world did James envision us rejoicing in the midst of trials? Um, what was he envisioning? Was he just saying we, we park our emotions over here and we, in a very robotic-like way, just put on a smiley face and say everything's okay? I mean, let's just be honest this morning, walking through the door... Walking through the door, how many times do people say to you, how are you doing today? And we say, fine, or good. And how many times, I mean, just honestly asking, how many times is that not really true? Um, and that doesn't mean I'm saying you're lying. It's just what we do. We do the churchy show up and act like everything's okay, everything's good. And, and perhaps we think in light of James chapter 1, then, verses 2, 3, and 4, that count it all joy when you face these trials mean that we just put on a happy face and act like nothing's happening. And I don't believe that's what, what James had in mind or when Peter in First Peter chapter 1 really talks about the same thing from a different angle, says these same types of things. We can rejoice and have exceeding joy, not because we are in the midst of, as we had in the morning service, a deep, dark, lonely time. Um, there, there is some reason or reasons to rejoice. The question is what and how. And 
I'll admit, in James chapter 1, we were, matter of fact, let's just read these couple of verses and look where we often stop. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I stopped there, but I will say to you, James does not stop there. That's where we naturally stop. We have looked at those three verses often. We stop there and we miss the connection that goes on and on and on through really most of that whole first chapter. Because if you look at verse 12, verse 12 is still tying it together. Verse 12 is still showing us James is not done. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then James makes it even more confusing because the word that he translates, that we translate in English, trial, is also sometimes translated temptation. So that makes it even more confusing in English. Here's the reality. Trials can be both a trial and a temptation. How is that? We face a difficulty, and it's not a, in and of itself, it's not a temptation. But in that difficulty, I can be tempted to sin. That means I can be tempted to sin and thinking God is not good, God does not love me, that this is not fair, this is not right, and just we can go on and on and on. So, yes, a, the word that James uses here that can be translated trial or temptation sounds like, well, why did he use the same word? Because a trial, a difficult situation, an affliction like we looked at this morning, something that weighs us down, can tempt us to do a lot of things. Most often to doubt God's goodness, most often to doubt God's love, and on a personal level, most often to depend on ourselves, most often to depend on what I can do, how I can fix it, how I can solve it, I got this under control. And suddenly when we don't have it under control, then we're, we're flailing like the lost child in the mall. All right? So why do I have James 1.17 here, where it has the picture of God's good gifts? Well, look down your Bibles, and I don't know if when I made this handout before, if what version I use. So let's look at the NIV here in our Bibles. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Okay, so what it's telling us is that everything that comes from God comes from a God who does not change, like shifting shadows, all right? So if we were to take a time-lapse camera picture of this room, um, even in the time that we're here, from 9.30 to 12, we would have taken a time-lapse camera up here, we would have watched that shadow out these windows in here moving, all right? He's saying, God does not change. That's the good news. That's the bedrock. Now here's the, here's the I won't say bad news, here's the realistic news. But we must change. Uh, God is, through His grace, through Christ, in the process of changing us. And one of the ways that James says, and, and, and again, here's the wonderful picture that ties into the message this morning from James 1. James, if you see at the beginning, he is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered among the nations. So again, here's the picture of the children lost in the mall. They're all over the place and they're facing all kinds of difficulties. And now he's going to tell them, in the midst of those difficulties, you can rejoice. You can find joy. 
And we have tried to figure that out emotionally, mentally. How does that work? What does that look like? Is it just suck it up and put on a happy face and throw some cold water in your face and move on? Well, obviously, James, Peter, and many others, and even the psalmist in writing in Psalm 119. If you go to Psalm 119, verse 71, which we didn't look at this morning, it says, It is good that I have been afflicted that I might learn your statutes. In other words, there is a good part of being afflicted. It pushes me back to the Word. Um, you know, once we've, we've, we've run out of our own resources of what am I going to do, how am I going to fix this, at the end of the day, God gets us to where He wanted us all along. And that is, it's good that this has come because it has driven me back to your Word. Now, here's the picture that I throw out to you here with James 1.17. What James is saying is that everything that you and I get from an unchanging God is good. Perfectly good. Without a doubt, good. And because he always loves us, that doesn't change. Now, I may have mentioned this before, and I will go back to this often. There was a book written in the 1980s. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, a man named Harold Kushner, who was a rabbi, still is a rabbi, has written that book and many other books. And his tension was to wrestle with, all right, God is either sovereign or he's good, but how do I make that fit together? And, and it's because Harold Kushner had a son, uh, I think his son's name was Aaron, who died of a disease called progeria, which was an ap- a, a rapid aging so that by the time he was 12, 13 years old, he looked like a 70-year-old man, and he died at the age, I believe, 14 years of age. And this was him trying to come to grips with, why does this happen? How could this be? How could there be a God who's in control but's also good? I mean, we can go back 13 years and, and look at 9-11 and go, okay, God could have controlled all of those pilots and could have controlled all of those people that were watching these guys get on these planes, could have stopped these things, why didn't he? All right. And Rabbi Kushner came to this conclusion. And I hope you'll understand when I say it, if you come to this conclusion, we've got a big problem. His conclusion was either God is sovereign and he's in control or God is good, but it doesn't seem like we can have both. So he concluded God is good, he's always good, but there are just some things he can't control. So if you buy into that, then you and I along with him, have bought into the fact that he's not really God. Because there's a lot of things you and I can't control because we aren't God. So making those two fit together, this side of heaven is going to be hard for our finite minds to come to grips with. So what do we do with that? How do we solve that? Well, we can't completely solve it because this side of heaven, we're still struggling with sinful minds trying to think through perfect truths from a perfect God. Here in James 1.17 says, Every good thing, every good gift comes down from God. Which, here's what you and I think in terms of good gifts. And maybe I should just open this up for discussion. Here's where to wake you up now that you've already done the, Hey, blessings, OPBC. All right, what would you say are good gifts that we would assume from God? Just shout them out. Children? Some of your parents are like, not really. Good health? Marriage, job, job. salvation, salvation. beg your pardon, laughter, laughter. Friends. friends, food, music, 
Money. Okay, you notice so far nobody has said problems, difficulties, struggles. We don't even put that in the same sentence. All right? And here's my point is, inside the package, I mean, this goes back to our days in China. People in China love to give gifts in beautiful packages. It's not so much the gift inside as it is when they have Chinese New Year, the beautiful package. And one of the things that they love to do is re-gift. All right, I give it, oh, that's a pretty expensive gift, so rather than buying one, I'll just gift it to somebody else. And sometimes those come back full circle. Um, but but here's, here's the reality, all right? That looks like a beautiful gift there on that page in that picture. But here's what I want us to draw from this this morning. Trials are the wrapping paper on the good gifts that God gives us. If we are willing to unwrap those trials with God's help, we will find the good gift inside. But you see, we don't like bad wrapping paper. You know, I was a cheap guy in the early days, and back when we used to get the newspaper, I would use the comic section because I learned this from somebody to wrap gifts in a comic section. It's cool, all right, it's free, all right. And, and that was the way to do it, all right? But none of us want a gift that's wrapped ugly, beat up, whatever. We just assume inside, whatever it is, it's not good. But if you can take away the bow and the striped paper and everything on the picture there, here's what we have to come to grips with is there is a good gift every day in every way coming down from a God who does not change, but the wrapping paper, the packaging of that gift may not be as beautiful as we want it to be. It may be a packaging that, quite frankly, we want to go, you know what, I don't want to open that because I'm assuming is if it looks that bad on the outside, it can't be good on the inside. It really can't. And yet, all throughout this passage of Scripture, James chapter 1, it's talking about trials, afflictions, and, and admitting that at the end of the day, when these things come, it's not because God is tempting us to sin. He can't do that. Uh, James 1 that we looked at this morning, verses 13 through 15, it's when Satan, and we can't blame it on Satan at the end of the day, he says it's our own desires that we give into, and then we choose something or someone other than God. So we're coming back to this because... All throughout Scripture, down at the bottom of your page, I think it's the bottom of your page. Mine's a little different than yours. It's talking about good. The whole book of Genesis, if you've, if you've read the book of Genesis, which probably most of you have, chapter 1 starts with good, very good, very good, very good. And at the end of the six days of creation, God's assessment up to that point was, and it was all what? Very good. All right? So good, 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 very good. Chapter 3 changed everything. Chapter 3 changed the whole, the whole environment. It changed everything in creation. It changed relationships. It changed everything about life. But when you get all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, here's a neat thing you can see. Take your Bibles and turn back to the last chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. This is uh, 
Joseph's brothers scared to death, thinking that dad is gone. Joseph is the second guy in command in Egypt, and he's going to wipe us out because we did him wrong. And, and Joseph, back in chapter 45, they've already discussed this. Joseph said, I'm not in the place of God. I'm, I, it, I'm not God to bring back revenge on you. God did this, and you did this. God did this to bring about something good, but you were the bad guys, all right? And you get all the way to Acts chapter 2 when Peter's preaching his first message, and he weaves that same idea in, that God had planned the crucifixion of Christ, but you evil, wicked people, you crucified him. So yes, in God's perfect plan, it's carried out, but we're still accountable. We're still guilty as charged. Well, here a statement that probably many of us have read at some point when Joseph is trying to calm his brothers, thinking that he's going to snuff them out. Look, if you would, at Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So it's like the book of Genesis starts with good and wrapping up the final story and the final part of the beginning of God's word. Joseph said, hey, you meant it for evil, and that's where sin has jumped in and contaminated everything, but God meant it for good. So we're bringing together what Rabbi Kushner couldn't bring together. God is sovereign, and everything he does is good, and they perfectly fit together, even if I don't always see how they fit together. And that's what brings this package in our mind to every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above. It's a gift from God that is all about his purposes to accomplish his good in our lives. And obviously, I already alluded to this, but... Sin contaminated good so that under number three there, if that's on your page at the bottom, I think, near, but near the bottom, in Genesis chapter 3 through 49, we see how sin contaminated good all throughout the book. I mean, honestly, let me think about this. Um, God, after the first chapter, first two chapters, laid out an incredibly wonderful picture of what he's done. But if you look through and you just stopped to list, if you read chapters 3 through 49 into 50, if you stopped and listed all the evil, sinful, wretched things that happen in those chapters, they're not like simple lying. There is rape in there. There is all kinds of evil things. There is a murder is the first wretched sin of a brother with a brother. And it just goes downhill after that, and it stays in that downhill mode until finally... Joseph, in the wisdom God gave him, connected these two dots in a way that Rabbi Kushner couldn't do and saying, God's in control and it's all good because he's in control and it's all going to work out. Now, and that's what is good. And yet, here's where we struggle and that is, we think good is our definition. So, here's the three big questions I throw at us. How do we define good? Well, we can have a faulty definition of good in this box here. Everything is just going just right. Uh, and, and each of us will be different here in this box. So if you look at the box, maybe you find yourself there in that box somewhere. Do you have this box? Okay, good. I'm like, 
This was a quick grab this morning, so I have no idea what yours look like exactly mine, all right? Multiple things here, and we could make this box go on and on, Etsy, et cetera, et cetera. But just think if you're in one of these spots here, everything goes just right. You may be, I like everything to go just a certain way, or maybe you're a person who doesn't like pressures, doesn't like things and hit you that way. Uh, and your needs are always met. Everyone likes me. Everyone loves me. My job is very fulfilling. Uh, maybe you're just getting through it every day. Your house always stays clean. You know, every woman's dream, maybe, I don't know. Um, have good health, enjoy obedient, respectful children, a spouse who loves me or a spouse who submits to me. I mean, these are things that we think, all right, that's good. If I have those things, then I got a good life. What if one of those that are your hot button that you really like in that list, what if that's yanked away? Uh, What if that's not that? Uh, What if it's far from that? You know, the question is, and, you know, here's where I'm going to show my age for the rest of us old folks here. From the musical Oklahoma, it's one of the first musicals I can remember as a kid going, you know what, these people are singing through life. It's just strange, all right? Uh, Sound of Music, Oklahoma, but obviously beautiful musicals. Uh, That's not life, all right? But it was life there. But if I sing the song, which you don't want me to do, I'll just say the words, oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day, I've got a beautiful feeling, What? everything's going my way, all right? That can't be true. That's the problem. It can be true, and it always will be true for God. Where we have a problem is when we want a world that is reigned by me according to what I say is good, and if it is done that way, then I'm good, and I feel okay, and I'm moving forward. But God's good gift that includes packaging that we don't like is God is putting things out there that it has incredibly good gifts inside. But quite honestly, the packaging is pretty rough. The packaging's pretty tough. The packaging, it might hurt. And honestly, it would be like unwrapping one of those packages where you unwrap it and then you open it and you got another one and you unwrap it and open it. You're like, yeah, this is really funny. This is a lot of fun. What's in there, you know? Um, and it's getting smaller and smaller. I say that because sometimes the difficulties in our life go on and on and on. We think we got it open and there's more. We open it some more and there's more. And, and, and God is saying all along, believe this. Believe this. I don't change. So what I don't change is, I'm always good, I always love you, I always have your best interests in mind. If we can hang on to that rock-solid truth, then look inside of the package, not at the packaging, but the gift inside that he is trying to bring out in our lives. That's the good gift. The good gift isn't the wrapping paper, the good gift is what's inside. The hard part will be the wrapping paper. The hard part will be the packaging. Because... We define good in these ways down here. We define good as, this is my world, welcome to it. And this is how I like it. This is how I want it. And God says, you know what? I'm going to shake your world up a little bit. Matter of fact, I'm going to change things in your world. And the question is, going back to Pastor Gossip's message this morning, when God does that, am I going to still stay with God or am I going to go running off to my happy place, wherever that is, to feel better? 
And God says, when we do that, then we've wandered away. And he says, but I've got a good gift. Keep working on that wrapping paper. Keep unpackaging that. So how can God be both good and sovereign at the same time? Well, I give you two verses to, to think about. Go to, you're, you're in uh, Genesis chapter 50. Go to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46, if you would. A number of years ago, uh, I'm trying to think of how many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, uh, memorized these two verses. And these, these two verses really have been the ballast in keeping my ship afloat, you know, keeping the balance, keeping it from sinking, coming back to these two verses. And admittedly, I will remember them in the King James Version because that's what I memorized years ago, so I'll read it in the NIV here. Isaiah 46, look down if you would at verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Here's what he says. Um, From the time we are born... Till the time we die. So we already have one slash mark over here. The fact that we're here this morning means we don't have the second slash mark over here. The beginning and the end. And God's talking far beyond the beginning and end of our life. He's talking about the beginning of time. Let there be light. And then in Revelation, when time will be no more. When suddenly we don't measure with clocks like you're looking at or whatever. We don't measure it with clocks, calendars, or anything else. There will be no need to measure it. He says this. I've planned it all. I, I, there's nothing, you know, when we say this sometimes about God, did you ever notice that, that God is never surprised? God is never caught off guard. We certainly are. But it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that nothing comes as a surprise to God. But it's because this verse gives us a rock-solid foundation to stand on, and that is God says... From beginning to end, I've planned it all. And I will do my good pleasure. It is good. It always is good. And we won't have time to look at a number of verses. We can, we can look at perhaps Psalm 136 where it says that the, the, talking about the goodness of God, it just echoes over and over in that psalm. Many different verses about God's goodness. Our difficulty is hooking the two together. And that is God's in control and God is good. But if we can, instead of chucking one to hang on to the other, hold on to both, then we start to see what God's trying to drive home in our hearts and our lives. And that is, as you're unwrapping that difficult package, you unwrap that difficult package, whatever it may be today, whatever it may be in your life, in your heart today, he says, if you will trust me in unwrapping that package, you're going to find some incredibly good things inside there. And I don't mean that all your bills will be paid, all your health will be perfect, all your family issues, personal issues, work issues will be better. Because that's what we want to be inside that package. We really do. That's not what you're going to find in there. So I, I want to keep you from being disappointed. Keep myself from being disappointed. That's not what we're going to find in there. What we will find in there is God. We will find a closer relationship with him. We will find a satisfaction 
that can be found only in him, not in ways that we have tried before. And that may come as a disappointment. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's not what I was hoping for. You know, if you're going to make me go through all the bad wrapping paper, I sure want to get inside and find out, all right, my bills are all paid, my health is good, the kids are good, my family's good, job is good, uh, retirement stuff is all set. That's what I want to find inside that package. And, and really then we've blown it on both sides. We've both blown it on unwrapping it and what we want in the package. Uh, because as I mentioned this morning, John Piper, a lot of his books, he wrote a book, God is the Gospel. And in that book, he says, you know what? What if you get to heaven and you think, I want my friends to be there. I want to see family members I haven't seen. What if the only thing you get when you get to heaven is just God? Are we going to be good with that? You know, and, and really what he goes on to say is, yes, there will be streets of gold. But is there any question where those streets of gold lead to? They lead to the very throne of God. Because that's where God is leading us in life now, through these situations. And so, the package is a good gift. It is a great gift. And we get a lot of these delivered by God, not by FedEx or UPS, daily from God. The question is, how will we unwrap them? And will we be badly disappointed once we open it and go, that's not what I wanted. You know, it's like a kid at Christmas. I mean, just think of your kids when they open a package and they open it thinking it's this latest, greatest toy, and it's a belt. You know, it's like, really? You know, they've been thinking, they've been shaking this thing, and thinking this is the coolest thing, and it's a belt. And they're like, yeah, you know, I don't need a belt. My pants will stay up. They'll be fine. But that's what we do with this, and that is we, we see what God puts in there, and, and when we get in there, we're like, but I didn't want that, and I didn't want this process. And, and so I'm laying out to you the reality is, yes, this packaging is going to be hard. And I'm not going to delude any of us, including myself, to think that once we get inside that package that we get the things we've always been dreaming of. Because if that's the case, then here's the problem with the Lord's Prayer. We say, Jesus says to teach us, we pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. And we're not talking about my kingdom That's what we sometimes say. It's your kingdom come, your will be done. That's how the prayer is, according to Jesus. But if we want it to be that way, we are saying silently, stubbornly, my kingdom come, my will be done. When Jesus said, we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I want to be king. I want my world to look like this. And it doesn't look like that often. And, and, I, and I, I can look around this room and go, I don't know what's going on in your minds and hearts. I have no idea. But I can, I can see by facial responses that all of us go, yeah, um, that's where life can be at different times or has been at different times or will be at different times. And we're going, God, help me just hang on. And not just hang on, but hang on to him. Because if we hang on to him, as Pastor Gossip said, if you throw God out and throw all that out, what do you really have? If we've thrown out the very thing. And that's what God's driving us to. So that being said, here's what I encourage you to do. Um, This is not really homework because that's like a dirty word on a weekend. All right? Homework. Teenagers are not in here. They wouldn't even want to hear that word. And we don't want to because we think we can't do homework anymore. If you've not read, I shouldn't say, Probably most of us at some point have read Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, 3 through 11. 
And I, I reference that because it's an amazing passage of Scripture where Paul, uh, in that passage of Scripture, gives an incredibly transparent testimony. He says this. He said, The circumstances that happened to us, to me, took, to us, took us to the point where we despaired of life. All right? So let's just assume this little podium up here is a cliff. He says, God took me to the edge of this cliff, and I was ready to jump because God was asking me in that moment, Will you still trust me? Will you still trust me? And Paul says, God took me there, and here's why, if you look at that passage today. So that I will learn not to trust in myself, but in a God who can raise the dead. So, yes, only God can raise the dead. So if he can do that, anything else that I might put under that list of what I need right now, God says, surely if I can raise the dead, I can help you with that. So Paul says, we were there. I was ready to say, I can't do this anymore. I'm over. Uh, we despaired of life. I mean, that's pretty incredible, the word he used. He didn't put on the happy face. He didn't act like it's all good, and let's just act like everything's fine. He said, this is where God took us. But he had to learn personally. God wanted him to learn to trust more in himself, or more in God who can raise the dead than in himself. And it revealed God to him in a way that would not have come any other way. Because those verses start with the God of all comfort who comforts us. If you look in verses 3 and 4, you count out how many times comfort, comfort, comfort. And not just comfort, but all comfort in every situation, on and on and on. So Paul tells the good part, and he says, here's how I got there. God took me here. I wanted to jump going, I can't do this. And God says, well, if you'll trust me, I'm going to help you. So he could write to them and say, you don't know all the details, but let me give you a little snippet. This is where I was. This is where we were. But look what God taught me through this. So we have a gift every day. And some of you have a gift right now that has some really rough wrapping paper on it. Um, if you're willing to trust that God's in control and God is good, Keep unwrapping it by trusting in his goodness, his sovereignty, because at the end of the day, when you get into that package, you find God more than the things you think you really need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. It's been a wonderful day to reflect on your goodness, your control, uh, your faithfulness to us. Uh, we have, like a songwriter has written, the words... Uh, from Lamentations chapter 3, that your mercies are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. Certainly, we need that every morning. Certainly, we need to see your faithfulness because we are faithless creatures that are just hanging on. Help us to be not just faithless creatures hanging on, but hope-filled, uh, faith-growing believers who are convinced that you are always up to good in our lives if we will believe in who you are. And in the midst of, as Pastor Gossip said, in the midst of those lonely, dark valleys, while we are in those, help us to look up to see, as David said, you're with us. That's what we need more than anything else. And I pray for any dear brothers and sisters this morning who are hurting, who are struggling, who are feeling very lost. 
I pray that there's something from your word today, perhaps even taking time this afternoon to read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9, to see what happened in Paul's life and the incredible things you taught him. So God, uh, bless us with your presence as we leave here. Continue to help Pastor Ken as he finishes his message that it will have a profound impact on Orange Park Bible Church. Uh, Pastor Matt and that family of believers, and that you will continue to bless Pastor Matt, Erica, their children, and the leaders of that church, that what was started here in growing uh, Matt in leadership and in faithfulness will continue to blossom there even more. And then we pray as well tomorrow that you give our pastor safety as he travels back, uh, as he comes back to continue to serve together and worship together and shepherd us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great day.